Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. Just before we roll into this uh, discussion today, um, yeah, just a little bit what's going on. So, Global Fat Bike Day has come and gone. There was zero snow here. Oh, maybe at the top of the Gatineau Park. There was a little bit a couple times on the trails. But, um, you know, such is life. But I'm super happy. I did get out for a ride with some friends. Uh, old and new, I should say. And I uh, I took my mountain bike. I actually did a little ride with the fat bike first so I could legitimately say I rode my fat bike on global fat bike day. I took the dog for a quick little spin for about 20 minutes and then I switched up bikes and then I headed out for the bike ride with the boys. And, um, yeah, it was awesome. What a great day on a bike. Um, probably two and a half hours out there. Nothing crazy. There's a couple spots where there's a little bit of ice where people bailed and stuff, but, um, for the most part it was completely rideable. Yeah, I'm super excited, super excited for snow to come. I heard maybe in the next week or two we could be getting a dump of snow, so that would be sweet. I've um, got a Panorama Shikshocks uh, carbon fat bike, as I think I talked about a couple times now. And, uh, yeah, it's it's light. It's fast, I guess, for a fat bike. Uh, I've yet to stud the tires. I've yet to completely put it to – I've completely – I've yet to put it tubeless – um, that should happen sometime soon, and uh, and then also hopefully, you know, get some pogies and stuff to keep my hands warm because I'm very prone to cold hands and feet. Apparently, I have bad circulation. That'd be my best guess, or I always dress way too cold. It could be that. Uh, what else is new on that front? Um, oh yeah, it's not too late. The Panorama Cycles still has stock of the Shikshocks carbon fat bike and. Now's the time. If you want to get a new fat bike and you haven't done it yet, you can use the code BTA15. And hopefully very soon in the next day or so, it should go live as BPA15. So if one doesn't work, try the other because I've changed from bike tour adventures to bike pack adventures. And so I've contacted the various uh, partner companies to ask them to change the promo codes. But anyways, you could try either code BTA15 or BPA15. And that'll save you like 15%, which is on a fat bike like that, somewhere between $580 and $660-ish, I think, something like that, which is um, freaking sweet, man, because when then that gives you money to go buy some pogies and pedals and 
what else? Uh, some new gloves, maybe a helmet, all kinds of fat bike gear, studs for your tires. And then you'll be set up and it'll all be like it was free because you got your bike and had leftover money. What more could you ask for in life? Yeah. So on that note, the rebrand is kind of fully getting there. I have re-recorded the intro and outro. I've slowly changed everything around. Um, Currently, you can still order Bike Tour Adventures swag on social media, so over Instagram and Facebook, but on the website, it's down, so I need to, to get that set up because I've redone the website, um, which is also causing me difficulty porting my Captivate podcast over into the website. For some reason, that's being weird too, so lots of little issues. I completely br- messed up the website a few days ago. Uh, luckily, my cousin's husband is a website designer, and so I reached out to him, and yeah, he took the time to help me fix it right away, so I didn't have to, to wait, which was awesome. Thank you, David, if you're out there listening. Definitely, definitely saved my bacon. What else? What else is going on? Yeah, so you can get some of that retro Bike Tour Adventures podcast uh, swag over social media for the time being. Uh, let me know if you want me to keep it up. I can. Uh, I'm going to be making new stuff for bike pack adventures. But if you guys are digging the old stuff too, you could have like a retro line. Who knows? Let me know what you think. Patreon. I have changed it to Patreon.com/slash/BikePackAdventures, so it's now updated as well. So big shout out to anybody who's supporting me. Thank you for your support. Thank you for taking the time to go and do that and contributing to the success of this podcast. So if you're not doing that yet, now's your chance. It's never too late. Or you could also just uh, share episodes you like with friends and family. You could also go on to um, Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. That would be sick. Or Spotify or whatever you listen with. And um, yeah, that's that's one awesome way to help um paypal as well i think paypal is still bike tour adventures i have to fix that i didn't think about it um i will get around to that yeah so in this episode we kind of dive into um all kinds of different topics um maybe i'll just read my intro in this episode of the bike tour adventures podcast i have a chance to talk with samuel lalonde marcon and simon pierre gonneau In the winter of 2023, Simon-Pierre and Samuel will attempt to cross the entire province of Quebec from south to north by bike and ski. A 2,725-kilometer journey realized in approximately 100 days that will lead them to cross the Hudson Bay Coastal Ice Pack. So that's like 1,475 kilometers of winter cycling and 1,250 kilometers of cross-country skiing. This expedition will definitely put them to the test. Samuel had previously completed two crossings of Quebec as part of his Trans-Taiga expedition using a combination of bicycle and canoe. Simon-Pierre had previously completed the cycling portion of the Transboreal as part of his Expedition Québec Plain-Nord, but was stopped in 2020 through a combination of COVID and bad weather. Um, At that time, he was attempting to fat bike the whole way. In today's discussion, we talk about cycling in winter, previous expeditions, their lives growing up, and how they ended up deciding to take on this challenge as part of a team of two. So, guys, enjoy. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Samuel, Simon-Pierre, welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Thanks. 
Um, Thanks. Let's uh, let's just start off by getting to know a bit more about you guys. Um, I guess Simon Pierre, you can start it up. Um, tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you from? Um, you know all the all the good deeds about your childhood and upbringing, and what made you this outdoorsy person yeah. now. Well, I grew up in uh, Saint Sauveur, which is a, a ski village north of uh, Montreal. Um, so all my family were skiers. Uh, my mom, my dad were uh, ski instructors. Um, so I grew up uh, going skiing every day that I wasn't in school uh, during winter. Uh, so that uh, was a lot of introductions um and outdoors um and uh when i was uh i'd say a teenager maybe 15 years old i started getting interesting in in interested in uh mountains uh climbing um mountain biking uh that that's really and mountain biking really came as a a way to train for skiing okay uh, I, I i did ski racing um, alpine ski racing um, so that's how I got started in, in biking uh, pretty much um, so uh, in my 20s I uh, started uh, racing just for fun of course um, and, and then with my girlfriend we started uh, touring a little bit uh, then road biking so I did pretty much the whole gamut uh, yeah yeah um, Sort of, and uh, biking was um, an on and off thing. Um, I could spend like uh, two or three years without uh, uh, riding, and then for a couple of years, I would ride pretty much every day. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's my uh, I know that's biking like story. A lot of people through the twenties, twenties yeah. is just like this gap of everything. And a li- or nothing, you know. So like lots of yeah. Well, with and, the school, yeah. the university, and uh, you start a new job, yeah, and exactly. uh, eventually you get to uh, have a family. Uh, early thirties, so uh, yeah, exactly. There's always something. There's always uh, there's always a reason uh, uh, for you uh, skipping a year or two. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Samuel? Um, Tell us your story. Well, I start with uh, maybe 10 years, 12 years ago. I started to uh, do those tours. I crossed Canada by bike and then the USA and I did all those pretty classic big trips. Um, it arrived at um, like pretty lately in my life. I did all my studies. I was a musician. I was more in the artistic field, although doing all those kind of sports pretty much endurance sports uh, and commuting as well. And I had this idea at the minute I, I finished my master's degree, I just, you know, I was craving that kind of challenge that I had with my instruments, mm-hmm. uh, practicing my, my instrument. So I just jumped onto bike and, you know, went for it like many other people do at some point. They just, you know, their first multi-day trip is, you know, those epic big runs. So for me, it was uh, crossing Canada, which I did in 2011. That was your first big, uh, big trip then, huh? Yeah, yeah. I think I did just before that. The the most I did was like an overnight with all my gears. So that was pretty intense. But I was uh, a scout before when I was a teenager. So that's already a good background for all other stuff. I did a few hikes as well, a few multi-day hikes. But 
The interesting thing is when I was a kid, I had in my mind all those big um, expedition and explorers. So I grew up listening to stories of Amundsen and Scott and, you know, hearing about the stories of Everest and stuff like that. And although nothing was close to this and, you know, when I was a child, I kept thinking about it and I thought for sure I'm going to do that when I'm going to be old. I mean, this is part of life. I wasn't dreaming so much about having a job. I was like, well, you know, you just do stuff and you study. And at some point you go out there and you do adventures. The thing is, <laughs> it's it's harder than, it, than you think it is because there's all those learnings and and gear you need to get. So for me, bike was really the entrance door to more technical uh, or remote adventure. So this is really what brought me years later, mm-hmm. let's say around 2016 and, and 17, doing more like alpine adventures and canoeing and stuff like that, which I'm sure we'll talk about it. But yeah, this is my background. So it's not it's not like a straightforward uh, a line to adventure. Like I didn't have like parents that were doing that necessarily. Uh, but bike was really the thing that brought me into that. Okay. And uh, what kind of bike were you using? And uh, I, I think, well, we talked about it a few minutes ago before going live, but uh, you had a, um, I forget, Surly, right? And yeah. When did you first buy it? And what was the setup like on it? How did you tour, you know? Well, just before that, I had for years an old Peugeot, like 10 speed or something like that with like really stupid gearing and I couldn't do much about it, but it was like a decent bike, yeah. like a steel bike. I haven't thrown anything else than steel. Like I'm really, you know, into those classic feel. Um, and I was just looking for a bike. And back in 2010, there was pretty much three bikes that people were talking about that were, you know, affordable. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Surly, the Long Old Trucker, the Kona Sutra, and the Trek 520. So if you, if you would look up on the internet, this is what you would find. And for years, it was like that. And, you know, you buy that, you buy you know, a rear and a front rack, you put uh, panniers and you just, you just go for it. So I bought this bike with all the, the stock parts and it was, it ended up being like a love story. I love that bike. It's super comfortable. It's a bit heavy. Um, but I rode, you know, a lot of kilometers and, mm. you know, not, not ultra endurance cycling, but I could easily go up to 300 kilometers a day with um, on that bike once you uh, get the momentum sorry. and it's going <laughs> yeah acceleration is is not good on this bike uh but you know of course like a, a nice uh, brooks b17 saddle uh like really relaxed fit and yeah i owned that bike until last summer and it's just it, it just no longer represent my needs uh but i think it's a great bike and it's super uh convenient for many type of adventures mm-hmm. how about you uh simon pierre like um what kind of bike did you use when you started uh doing some adventures and uh well i guess the the the, the bike that really started all started it all um for me or when it became more important um it's actually the first bike that i bought with my own money uh back then 1997 maybe oh wow Way back. uh it was a, a s-works from specialized oh nice um which back then would sell for about 2500 bucks yeah <laughs> which is nothing compared to uh yeah now they're 15,000 or something <laughs> yeah uh-huh. uh but that that really was the bike that 
got me uh, more interested or got me doing more and more mountain biking. Um, and then afterwards, uh, I did pretty much anything with that bike. I, I went uh, touring with it. Um, I had uh, slick tires on it, uh, trying to do something like my first uh, road rides. Uh, so that, that, yeah, that, that's the, the, the bike that got, got me into it. Uh, and more recently, um, uh, I've been riding a gravel bike. Uh, well, it's actually, actually a, a, um, a cyclocross bike. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. That I use again for pretty much anything. Uh, yeah. And, um, this uh, this mountain bike was it like a downhill bike or like an enduro trail bike? What kind of? It it, it really was a cross country bike. Okay, uh, was it like an epic? Hardtails. A uh, what? Like Sorry? a specialized epic or stunt jumper? No, it it's before the uh, epic series. Uh, Stump yeah. jumper. It really maybe. was uh, like I the. Know. I think it's probably. Uh, I remember it's a green S works. Okay. Uh, with full XDR. Uh, brakes and derailers and okay. everything. And was it hardtail yeah. then? Or? Yeah, hardtail. Yeah. Okay, at least that's good if you're touring and it's like full yeah, suspension. Yeah. You'd be like, this is really slow. <laughs> yeah, no, that wouldn't be a, a good thing. And uh, Samuel, when you were when you were in your earlier days of touring, did your did you find a big progression as you when you started with touring and as you you know quote unquote got better at it? Did you start doing bigger days or like lightening up the load a lot? Did you get rid of things or what were some of the things like? How did you see the change in the progression? Yeah, since nobody was biking in my um, uh, in my family or I didn't have friends that were necessarily biking. For me, biking more than 50 kilometers was already, you know, a pretty intense distance. And my father, I think he biked from Montreal to the, the cottage, like in, on the countryside, it's 115 kilometers. Mm. And for me, for for decades, it's been something in my mind that was like very epic to bike that distance that we usually, of course, use the car to go to the, yeah. to the cottage. So for me, it's been in my mind. And the first time I tried it was, uh, I, I think, you know, just after high school, I went with my sister and I stopped after 80 kilometers. I was just done. Uh, I had neck pain. You know, I I couldn't handle it. And for me, it was like, that's it. I mean, I won't have any bike career. I'm just you know, I'm <laughs> not made for it. And I stopped. And usually speaking, I'm pretty good with endurance sports. Like I could run, I could, you know, swim and all those things. And I was like, well, maybe night bike is not for me. So I, I quit for a long time. And this was in my mind and I started commuting a lot and, you know, I, I came back to that distance with, you know, really having in mind doing it, you know, the entire length. So I went for it, did 115 kilometers after a full summer of uh, commuting. And I was like, yeah, this is really great. And my family was there and I remember being really proud of me and telling them, well, you know, there might be something for me with biking at some point. And from there, it's just like for a year and a half after I was still studying. So not necessarily biking. How old were you at the time? It, I, how old I was 25 maybe. Okay. So, you know, my, yeah, I just, I don't have any background. So it would be like those, you know, chunks, a little bit more uh, for a year, but nothing very consistent. And then when I was looking for trust in Canada, 
I heard about that guy. It was an old website. I, I don't think it's there anymore. Like maybe on a blog or crazy guy on a, on a bike or something. Still like exists. That. This guy. Yeah. yeah. And this guy, he bike Canada averaging like 230 kilometers per day in his, you know, at age 65 or something like that. And I was just shocked. I wow. mean, then I, I looked up in the internet. I was like, even the Tour de France, they're not doing that. I mean, this is totally insane. And somehow it just, you know, it, it, it broke the scene in my mind. And I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to go for it. So I started doing like 175 kilometers per day and stuff like that. And it just felt good all the time. And there was this point I did like back and forth Montreal to Ottawa, uh, sleeping in Ottawa. So that was like mm -hmm. 200 kilometers, 200 kilometers. Like, yeah, I, I feel I can handle it. So progression was really quick. And when I started Canada, uh, I told everybody that I would try to average 175. Uh, and everybody told me that it was too much. I, I would kill myself. And in my mind, I was like, well, I don't want to do 175. I want to do 220 or 30. And I just went for it. And after uh, three days, it was a disaster. Uh, I did like 230 the first day, 200 the second day, and 30 was like 175. And I was like, that's it. I mean, this is not for me. And somehow on the fourth day, I came back to 200 and something, and that was it for the rest of the trip. So yeah, this progression was pretty quick and something happened in my mind at some point. And I, I feel also the combination with having like a very comfortable bike and a good fit, it worked for me and I could easily jump into big distance pretty mm -hmm. quickly uh, while after I started the biking. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Well, I mean, those first few days, too, that's when you're in the mountains, you know, you're crossing the Rockies and the whatever the, the other two mountain ranges and around BCR. And, you know, so it's a lot of work and it's easy to go too hard. And then it takes you a day. Well, I started in Montreal. Actually. Oh, you started, started Montreal. in Montreal. OK. Yeah. And I went for uh, Newfoundland. So the first days uh, were in Quebec. And when I arrived to Newfoundland, I flew over uh, Vancouver and came back from Vancouver after that. Okay, you are not the first person I know that did that. I think it works great because, first of all, all the eastern part is really good. I mean, it's good cycling. It's beautiful. People are like nice, mm -hmm. uh, and it's 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 a big length. It's like it's a big chunk of Canada. It's um, yeah. And, I think it's 300 and uh, 3,200 kilometers, maybe something like that I did. And then you do the, the Vancouver Montreal part, which is 5,000. Yeah. So, you know, if you just do that part, it's, you know, it, of course, it's, it's some sort of crossing, but yeah. it's not, it's not whole Canada. Yeah. No, I think uh, Trevor of Mess Kit Magazine, I think he did the exact same kind of thing. His, his girlfriend at the time, maybe, I think, um, said that. I think he said she cycled with him. I'm pretty sure it was Trevor. Anyways, they cycled east, and then she went back to Montreal to work, and he flew to Vancouver and then cycled more. Something like huh. that. So I think it's a it's a good idea. Well, the worst thing to do would be to start to Vancouver, and then you arrive and you're at home, <laughs> and then you still have, like, you know, weeks yeah, of biking. Yeah, exactly. So it's not the best. I think it's great to, you know, just start from uh, where you live and – and when you come back, that's it for you. <laughs> yeah. And especially if you're pushing big days, it might be hard to go past home and you're like, oh, there it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So what other kind of uh, adventures and stuff did you guys grow up doing? I know, Samuel, you mentioned like canoe expeditions and stuff. And Simon Pierre, you said um, skiing and mountaineering yeah, well, and stuff. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, I ended up I ended up sailing uh, quite oh, a shit. Nice. a bit as well. Um, actually, one of the well after uh, we had our kids, um, we took a sabbatical. We bought a, a sailboat, took a sabbatical, uh, went down uh, the east coast. Uh, we parked in, in Florida for the the winter and then came back. That's uh, that's uh, that's one of the, the, the coolest things I, I think I've done uh, with uh, with the family. That's really cool. My dad my dad has a sailboat. Um, he had a a trailer sailor before, so it was like twenty six or twenty seven feet. Now he's got a thirty seven footer. Big difference. Um, yeah. What kind of did you need a like? Because you're in the ocean then, right? You weren't taking the intercontinental canal thing or whatever it is, or. Yeah, yeah, we we took the intracoastal waterway. Intracoastal waterway. Uh, so it was mostly uh, motoring. Yeah. Uh, to get there and to come back, uh, so it, it was uh, the easy uh, way uh, to get there. Uh, I guess it was the logical way. Uh, yeah. With the kids, and we didn't have that much experience uh, as a family on a boat. So. Uh, now how long did it take yeah, it to go a, each direction? Um. Well, it it depends. Uh, like we left at the end of September, uh, we got there uh, early January, but we uh, we stopped for uh, quite a while in different areas. Uh, but coming back, it took us like thirty days. So it really depends uh, what you want to do and and. Yeah, uh, how long you, you stop in, in, in certain places. Um, that's really cool. How big was the boat? I am so intrigued. <laughs> uh, we, we had a 40-footer. Okay. And yeah. uh, what about sailing has made you a better cyclist? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, There's got to be something. <laughs> I guess, well... Uh, Sailing teaches you patience, and uh, as because I'm, I like to do long rides, uh, and, and patience needs to. I mean, y- you have to be patient. Yeah. I mean, y- you have to entertain yourself uh, when you're on the bike for uh, hours and hours. Uh, so yeah, that that that's probably one thing that sailing uh, taught me. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and, and Samuel, your, your turn. Um, what are some of the other kinds of expeditions and things that you got involved with? Well, my natural time? way of adventure was just hiking. So I did a few hikes, you know, all around, going a lot in the Adirondacks, yeah. Washington, uh, Mount Washington area. I did a few trips also hiking in other parts. Um, I think the first, besides uh, bike, the first really adventure sport I did was um, mountaineering, starting with rock climbing. So with a friend, we started a few years ago and we took all our, our course and we did a few trips together in the Alps, in in uh, Ecuador, in, oh, in, nice. in the West as well. So a few like very nice trip and we got to a level that we, we, were, we were not super strong rock climber, but with all the mountaineering technique, I mean, it's amazing what you can do. And, you know, of course, in the East, we're not, you know, we don't have great ranges for, you know, 
practicing those techniques. So it's very intimidating. So in, in few weeks, we got a lot and we went in all those places. So it's been really great. And it's actually when I was coming back from Ecuador, because when we were there, there was a, a guide that we uh, use his services for, uh, for climbing mountains. And the guy was knowing so much his territory, like he biked, he circumnavigated the whole length of, uh, of Ecuador. Mm, uh, there's actually wow. an article about him um, on bikepacking.com. I think his name is uh, Matthias Damar. He's such a great guy and yeah. he's a strong cyclist and, and canoeist and mountaineering and alpinist. So I remember when I came back, uh, just thinking, well, maybe I should look more to things to do on, on Quebec and in Canada, but especially in Quebec. Um, so I was looking for new lines to explore by bike. And this is when I hear the first about the Trans-Tega road, which uh, we'll talk about probably later because it's it's a very great uh, place to bike. And uh, so, yeah, I was thinking about this expedition going there and bike. It's very remote in, in the north of Quebec, but it was hard to think about the logistics because it's a dead end. So if you go there by bike, by car, then you need to come back. So it's like 5,000 kilometers or maybe 400 kilometers just back and forth going there. Yeah. And the, the road itself is maybe like 700 kilometers. So it was, it was stupid. So I was just like looking over maps and thinking what, what I can do with that. And, you know, I still had this, this idea of exploring more the Quebec territory. And I saw this big river called the Canyapisco. And Canyon Pisco is going all the way to the Angava Bay. And the other thing I didn't mention is during this Ecuador trip, I was reading Mike Horn, of course. So I hear about his uh, multi-sport expedition and uh, I was reading uh, Latitude Zero. I guess this is the name of the book. And I was like, well, what a great expedition. Just start biking from home and bike the Transtega. And then you get to the river and you start canoeing. So the great thing was, you know, this is a beautiful line. It's just like it hasn't been done this way before. I was like, well, this is perfect. But it was one problem is I wasn't canoeing. Oh, okay. So for me, it was, it was a journey taking all the classes. Yeah. But since I got a um, mountaineering background, in mountaineering, there's no short way. You just take your class and you practice and it's it's just a long shot all the time. Okay. Canoeing, a lot of people think they're canoeing, but they're actually not. Like they, they don't take time to learn the maneuver. And I mean, it's not it's not the, the most complicated sport to just go on whitewater, but you still need to take classes. And I jumped in into that and like within a few months, I, you know, I became a pretty decent uh, whitewater canoeist. Oh, and this cool. is how I could, you know, jump into that expedition after. Yeah. Okay. And so Samuel, I got to ask you because uh, all these courses sound awesome, but nothing's free. Um, are you married <laughs> with kids? <laughs> no, I'm by myself. So oh, that helps a, a lot when you need to, uh, you know, find time to go by yourself and, or with a friend for expedition. So this is something in my life that helped me a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So let's jump into this a bit. How do you, uh, Simon Pierre, how do you and Samuel know each other? How did you first get to know each other? And, uh, and tell us about th yeah. this expedition. That Yeah, well, um, uh, in 2020, uh, well, before 2020, I was preparing for my, my uh, 2020 expedition 
uh, I, I was looking looking for uh, information on the uh, James Bay Highway, um, and, and I came upon the uh, uh, Samuel's uh, website. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, I found out that Samuel did the uh, the James Bay Highway during the summer. Uh, my plan was to do it during the winter, so uh, I didn't know anyone who had done it uh so so i tried to uh reach uh samuel and so i could talk to him and, and get that info and uh at that moment uh samuel was in preparation for the route blanche uh, expedition during the 2020 um winter uh and uh I was being uh, supported by uh, Panorama Cycles uh, and, and Samuel, I didn't know, and Samuel was also uh, supported by uh, Panorama for his uh, Route Blanche uh, mm. uh, expedition. So we kind of bonded uh, maybe because of this and we kept in touch. And uh, yeah, that's uh, how we, uh, uh, we, we, we know each other. So the, the, it's called the James Bay Highway. I didn't, I wasn't actually aware of that. So the road going kind of, yep. well, just north yep. and never ending. Uh, well, ends eventually. But uh, it's called the James Bay Highway. Okay. And so, Samuel, you had already ridden the James Bay Highway in summer, right? Correct? 2018. So this was in Trenstega. Um, in my mind, I had the, the Trenstega Road, which is a gravel road. Uh, of 666 kilometers, okay. so it's uh, you know, it's uh, it's a pretty striking like in the middle of Taiga. But to get there, you also have the James Bay, and quite frankly, for people just looking for remote roads to explore, this is a great one uh, because you have uh, buses. So you start you know from whatever you want, and once you hit uh, Chisasibi, the very end on the James Bay, you take the bus and you ride uh, back home. So that's great. Uh, it's not so expensive and too remote, so it's a great opportunity. If you want to go mm. on Transtega, then you're stuck at the end of it. You need to find a way to ride back, uh, either by plane uh, or try to figure out something. Or just ride both ways. Be... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, so James Bay is beautiful. It's all paved. Uh, you have this one spot at the middle of it uh, with uh, resupply. Uh, it's called uh, the 300... Uh, three, three, eight, 381. One. Yeah, um, kilometer 381. Yeah, so you had a, like a spot with a restaurant okay. and you can sleep there. Uh, it's really something I, I recommend people to look for it. Um, you're really exposed with wind and there's quite a lot of wind there. So that's something that, you know, you need to be um, open to fight uh, for some days, uh, the yeah. wind, but generally speaking, it's just a beautiful road. And is it kind of like 12 months of the year wind? Like it's like you had it in the summer, Simon Pierre had it in the winter, or was it a little bit different? It really depends because when I did it in the summer, uh, I remember having like uh, wind from the back, so I, I could okay. ride you know, more than like 250 kilometers per day. Uh, but this past summer, I rode uh, a big chunk of it because we did this, we tried a new line of bike, uh, very remote, that would involve, you know, route finding and bikepacking, uh, not bikepacking, um, uh, bike rafting. Bike rafting. Oh, so nice. Okay, raft. yeah. 
it didn't work. Uh, it was a bit crazy. It was a training for this this winter, so we were looking for something wild and crazy, which didn't work. Uh, so we came back on the on the James Bay, and the, um, I. And who I was we? Bike, like, was that you and Simon Pierre? Or? Yeah. Okay. Just double check. So the idea <laughs> was to start from uh, Radson and ride to Shibugamo. Yeah. But there is this. Um, of course, of course, all those roads are made because uh, of hydroelectricity. So we have all those big uh, lines. Uh, that that travel from from all the reservoir mm-hmm. and the dam and stuff like that and they go all the way south but underneath some of these lines you sometimes have little trails that are made by hydro uh, oh, yes. and there was this spectacular one that we could see on maps uh, and a friend of mine uh, got aware of it and he was like I think there's something to do there um, it's not it's Actually, it is official. Like this is this is a, a, a trail that happened that appears on Hydro's uh, map. But the thing is, we didn't have any information, and it turns out that nobody's taking care of it. So it was just like bush and stuff like that. So we were able to bike maybe a hundred kilometers on there, uh, but we had to uh, pull over and came back uh, after that. Um, but it was it was a nice trip for the mine because it was super intense and it was very warm. Like we we got just like attacked by bugs all the time. Okay, um, I was gonna ask so what were the bugs like. <laughs> so yeah, you the, the bugs were it was ugly. <laughs> it was ugly. So you kind of go up to towards like Val d'Or and then you, is it Highway 109 that goes north to like Matagami and all that? Yeah, so this is the James yeah. Bay. That is yeah. the James Bay Highway, yeah. Yeah, okay. James Bay Highway starts, uh, f- let's say, from Matagami, and it goes up to uh, all the way up to Radisson. Uh. Oh yeah, I see it. Yeah, it's pretty much what I. Uh, I remember when I when I in 2020, surprisingly enough, I know I mentioned it before the podcast. Um, I originally wanted to go to Europe and do like the North Cape 4000. I wanted to do I forget what else. Um, something across the Pyrenees mountains and then COVID came. So a friend of mine said, why don't you just cycle in Quebec? So I had looked at exactly that and I was like, Oh, I could go all the way to the end of that road. Then I could come back a bit and then I could turn East and go to like Le Grand Quatre and, uh, just keep going until I have no choice, but to come back or something. Not really thinking so, it yeah, out. So this is the, when you're talking about, uh, La Grande Four, LG Four and all those things, this is the trans so this oh, one is okay. gravel, uh, and the only problem is there is no way you could you can come back from there. Oh, okay, so you just go out and then you have to turn. Yeah, around. and it's intense. Like I wouldn't recommend to do it back and forth. <laughs> I mean that would be fair, uh, and pretty complicated with uh, resupply because there's only one public place. Okay, uh, it's um, it's uh, outfitter Mira- yeah. It's at uh, halfway of, on this ah, route, so okay. I wouldn't recommend. And it's not the most beautiful. A lot of hydro cars and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So, my recommendation for a remote route uh, is more the Trans Labrador. Trans Labrador is uh, awesome. Yeah, uh, it's harder, but uh, it's not it's not a dead end. So the Trans Labrador start, is like, the one where you go up through like past the uh, the millet. Where is it called? Um, anyways, the one that goes kind of up in Labrador and then comes back down into yeah. Quebec, right? And yeah. you end up going Goose Bay. That's it. Yeah, very up yep. north. Um, so you start in, uh, in, uh, Blanc Sablon and then you go in, you know, uh, Chuchet Falls, Labrador right. City, Fermont, and then you go back along the, 
the Wapishka, all the mountains, the Manicouagan Reservoir. So it's it's a very great road. Yeah. Uh, and I believe uh, that it's primarily, I think it's all paved now, right? Like it wasn't yeah. five years ago, but now I think it is. On the Labrador side, but Quebec side is terrible. Oh, is it? Like it's very nasty. It, it's one of the, there is this section of 100 kilometers. It's just like one of the worst road in North America. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's an official road by Quebec, but it's stupid. Like there's, I mean, it's been built. I don't remember exactly what's the story, but you have the trail line and the, the, the road just crisscross the, 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 um, the, the trail, oh, okay. uh, the train, like I think 20, 20 time. Um, and it's, it's not paved, but it's not gravel anymore. It's just like this. It's almost like clay, so it's super slippery. If you have uh, rain there, it's terrible. And if, of, of course, they put um, not salt, but the, you know this type of salt they put sometimes, like to to make sure there's not so much like um, dust in the air, oh, yeah. so they, they throw that on it. So if you hit uh, uh, rain when you're there, I mean, it it just get into your bike and it's it's like you know rusting and and sticking all over, which which I had when I was there. Uh, so that part is not is not is not super easy, but it's beautiful and it's remote. And before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks Fat Bike, the Catadan Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. Yeah. When did you do the Trans Labrador? A year and a half ago. Okay. Uh, so the concept of uh, Trans Taiga 2018 was Montreal to Kujuac, so it was crossing of Quebec, but it's actually it turns out to be a partial crossing of Quebec. Uh, and the other one was uh, Blanc Sablon, which is the most uh, eastern point of Quebec, yeah. and go all the way to James Bay. Uh, we stop at West Point so it's not it's not an official like full length, but I mean we're almost there. Okay. So I biked along the Trans Labrador to Shibugamo. And after that, we canoed um, Brownback River all the way to uh, James Bay. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so, Simon Pierre, you said that. Uh, so it was 2020 as well. You cycled uh, the James Bay Highway. What yep. uh, what what kind of led to you and Samuel uh, Samuel deciding to to kind of go as far north as you can in Quebec this year or next year? I guess is it in, it's in January, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's well, it's up Soon. this winter. This winter. Um, yeah. Well, actually, the the project that I had in 2020 was to um, to to cross Quebec from the southernmost point to the northernmost point by bike on a fat bike. So that that was the plan in 2020. Okay. Um, so I had to to well, I had to go north 
the the only or the, the most practical uh, way uh, to get as far, as far north as possible is the James Bay Highway. Um, once you get to uh, the end of the road um, in Chisasibi, um, then the the way for me to, to get uh, further north was to, to uh, ride on the ice uh, of the James Bay and then the Hudson Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, uh, there was COVID, uh, so I couldn't uh, uh, finish the expedition. Uh, and uh, I guess Samuel uh, had, some, had his uh, sight on, on uh, that line um, in his mind, and he reached out to me uh, about a year ago uh, asking me if I wanted to uh, uh, join him uh, and try it again. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah. So um, was it – now, the reason – I'm assuming the reason it couldn't happen was because – and this is just a guess on my part because I experienced this in the West, but First Nations communities were kind of closing down to outsiders. Is that part of the reason? And, like, resupply um, became more of an we, issue? I turned back um, – we weren't there yet. I mean, the, the, the communities were not necessarily closing at that time. Um, it was, um, COVID was maybe the, the, the like, um, the, the final, uh, how do you say? Um, nail in the coffin. <laughs> nail, yeah. Um, I uh, was already, in my mind, I, I, I mentally, I wasn't, um, uh up to the challenge uh, at that point. Um, there was like the, the snow conditions were not that good. Uh, I made some uh, strate- strategic errors uh, in my first days uh, on the ice. Um, and, and then like I had a sat phone, I was speaking to my girlfriend or to my parents and they were like, uh, things are starting to close down south. Uh, schools are closing. My parents were supposed to go on vacation. That was canceled. What and, month was this? Uh, this is like February, March? Uh, March. March yeah. yeah, March. Um, and then uh, the day everything closed in Quebec, uh, March, uh, it was actually uh, Friday the 13th, uh, was the day I decided to turn back. Okay. What were some of the challenges you faced um on the, on the, you were, had a fat bike at that point, right? Did you ride yep. a fat bike yeah. the whole way? The whole way. Okay. Uh, to me, fat bike was the logical choice. Uh, and that was a panorama, uh, you said? Yeah, it was a Torngat uh, from uh, Panorama, uh, steel frame, uh, really great bike. Um, what was the, the hardest uh, thing or it, your question was, what was the, the no, what were some of the challenges? You the, said you had some issues the on the ice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but before uh, I had the, those issues on the ice, um, the biggest challenge for me getting up uh, to, uh, well, on the, the road section uh, was uh, saddle sores. Okay. Um, I made a mistake um, with all the uh, pre-expedition preparation. I was I didn't get to to ride the bike as much as I wanted to, uh, and didn't realize that the the uh, the saddle that came with the bike didn't fit me. 
Um, so a couple of days into the uh, the adventure, I started uh, having saddle sores, mm. and that uh, that became like a big issue uh, throughout the the, uh, the three weeks, uh, the first three weeks. Uh, but I was able to, to get over it. And, uh, once I got off the road and onto the ice, uh, that was pretty much behind me. But then, um, at that point, the, uh, the, the biggest challenge was, uh, really the snow conditions. Um, like for the first hundred kilometers, um, off road, I knew, uh, I would be, um, riding on the snowmobile trail. Uh, that's the the trail that uh, the um, the Cree uh, used to go to their camps, their hunting and fishing camps. Okay. Um, so it was supposed to be hard pack. I was expecting expecting to to ride uh, close to 50 k's uh, per day, uh, but because the snow was soft, um, I couldn't do more than 35 kilometers. And it was probably um, so a really that, hard 35k too. Uh, yeah, and I was uh, my setup was uh, I was um, pulling a sled. Okay. Um, which, which, in fact, which is uh, probably something that helped because I didn't have all the load on the bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, whenever I was uh, uh, going up a small hill, or I would start spinning and. and I mean, yeah, I was uh, constantly pushing the bike uh, when I didn't expect to. Okay. Uh, I knew I would I would start pushing at some point, but not so early into the off-road uh, portion of the trip. Yeah. Okay. And um, cool. So, what made you guys? Um, so, uh, let me just uh, think my thoughts here and figure it out. So, Samuel, this winter, I guess um, at some point, I'm guessing February or end of January. You're going first uh, of February, first of February, you're going to start and you're going to leave the southernmost point of Quebec. And your plan is to ride up to the north of the James Bay Highway as well, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So uh, I will have a slightly different setup. Yeah, tell me. Uh, I'm still going to use a panorama bike, uh, but since I'm not going to ride off road, I'm just going to stick to um you know, I personally own um, Anticosti, the gravel bike. Yes. And I will probably get a hand on the Taiga XP. So the mount, like, it's kind of a mix of a gravel bike and a mountain bike. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a drop bike. bar mountain bike. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful so bike. Yeah. This was supposed to be the one I, I would use. But then here I have a scoop. I hope Are you allowed? Did, you, did he give you permission to talk about it? Because I know. <laughs> oh, you know? Awesome. Is it like, did he told you that we're not supposed to talk about it? Uh, I'm sure we can. He told me, I, I don't know. I don't know if he told you you can talk about it. So I told him I wouldn't say anything. But if you want to talk about it, talk about it. <laughs> well, uh, okay. So let's just say that I will have a special bike. By Well, the thing is, it's not 100% confirmed. So, yeah, it's- but for sure, there will be those bikes by Panorama, which are, you know, gearbox bikes. So yeah, it's looking, that's it's, well, yeah, okay, yeah, if you're going to say that, it's um, basically a demo, well, he's putting together, what would you call it, a demo bike, I guess, or it's a, what do you call it? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's demo, I think it's the first. A first production. Um, yeah, it's the one he's receiving just to check if, if yeah. everything is fine, I mean. 
I it's think a this one won't have, won't have paint on it. Uh, so we will like, you know, paint it at the last minute. Oh, yeah, uh, cool. Great thing is, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's an ATB, so it's all Terran bike. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's it's in between gravel and mountain and touring. So uh, it's very exciting. So this is the Farion. So they, w- they will stop doing the Farion. I mean, this isn't their plan. I mean, I hope I'm not telling things I shouldn't say, but I think it's, it is exciting. So I will have this bike with, with the gearbox, internal uh, speed the, in the gearbox. Yeah. So uh, that's absolutely great for riding in, in slushy and humid conditions with all the salt. Yeah, especially if you uh, go through any kind of liquids, waters and stuff, and you, now you don't have everything kind of freezing together, yeah. right? So Exactly. So a lot of clearance. Uh, you know, I will have stud on my, on my tires. Um, what size of tires are you looking to run? Uh, you know, something around two inches. Um, I haven't ordered anything so far because I'm not even sure of what bike I will order, but Panama is really involved into that. So I'm pretty much going to have, you know, a full set of bikes that uh, Panorama will, will send me. And I'm talking to Simon a lot now. So, um, yeah. yeah, we're just waiting for a confirmation. Otherwise, I will go with the Taiga XP. Which uh, is a, a sweet so far, bike as well. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be perfect. And even even my Otskosti would have been would have been great as well, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, Simon also told me that, you know, of course, there's a lot of snow on, 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 on sideways. And, um, and yeah, there's a lot of traffic, so it's great to be able to bike in the snow on the side. So I won't go with, you know, of course, slick tires. Yeah. Uh, but I think having extra grip will be just just fine. Uh, I'm starting like in, you know, very urban region. I might send, you know, since I have friends and so and, and, and people I know, probably I won't camp uh, until past uh, Mont Laurier. So I'm thinking of sending stuff there because I have friends just, you know, by by bus, just, you know, sending the racks and stuff like that yeah. so I could bike back the first days. Um, there's a friend of mine that I met last summer uh, at the GBC 500 race. Um, it's a gravel uh, gravel uh, bike race. I, I just heard about it recently. Day. Yeah, I've only yeah. just heard about this event. Yeah. Yeah, it's super fun, uh, super intense. You don't have to do it like straightforward. I went for the for the whole like twenty four hour thing. I ended up doing it in twenty six hours, so that was pretty intense. The five hundred k, and I met Lynn Besset, so former uh, Olympian. She's one of you know uh, Canada's greatest uh, former cyclists, uh, female. And uh, yeah, she just you know told me that she would be open to uh, join me for the first part. So she might bike a few days with me. Oh, that's so that really cool. Like, you know, that would be a treat uh, to have such a great cyclist with me in, in the first place. Yeah. And where does it start? Where does the, the route start for any people that are listening or they want to search on Google Maps? Uh, the phone map is there. I finally uh, published it. It's on uh, Google My Maps. So the website is, uh, you can look up for it sure. for Transboreal Expedition. You will find it. Uh, so there's a link. So the actual uh, spot, and Simon can tell you more about it because this is something uh unofficial like nobody knows that the very official southern part of it is quebec but if you go on the website you'll see that the border just is is it's some some sort of a v shape at some point and close to um you know the the biggest town nearby is huntington uh so it's close to ontario border and you know it's uh it's uh on the other side it's um is it um it's new york state 
Yeah, yeah, I'd be and yeah you have on this uh, this private uh, land, you have this this little obelisk shape uh, stone, which is a marker of uh, the border. And Simon was there, so maybe you can tell us, Simon. Yeah, well, the, yeah, the, actually, all along the um, the Canada-U.S. border, you have uh, those border monuments. Uh, they all have a number. Uh, and the, the, the actual, um, the southernmost point of Quebec is at uh, Border Monument 720. Okay. Uh, which, like, uh, like uh, Samra said, it's, it's somewhere south of Huntingdon. Uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's like the mythical uh, spot where uh, uh, this adventure will uh, begin. Ah. So it's right next to the uh, Chateau Gay River. Uh, so it's it's quite beautiful. But again, it's it's the border. Uh, it's on private lands. It's not a place that you can go. I actually, uh, three years ago when I was there, I had to uh, um, report to the uh, RCMP um, just to make sure that I wouldn't get into trouble. You know, with uh, we 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 hear. Uh, we constantly hear about the uh, Chamay, uh, the Roxham uh, Road, and like people crossing the border. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, it's a uh, it's uh, something that needs to be uh, prepared. Um, you just don't go there for fun or uh, just to, to get a picture. You're going for fun, right? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I could just imagine that conversation. You go to the RCMP and you're like, yeah, I'm Canadian. Um, I'm going to be going to this point, but I'm not going to the U.S. And they're like, okay, like uh, whatever. <laughs> well, the, the, the people I talked to, they were actually like, you can touch the monument, but like there are cameras all along the border. So just don't cross the imaginary line. Just stay on the Canadian side. Don't do anything stupid. And like, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of special. That's wild. But the person that owned the, the land where the, the marker is, uh, is he aware that this, that this is this, the, the most? Yeah, he knows. Um, he knows. Yeah. Okay, he knows. Okay. And and so you had a you went and you requested permission from the owner to say hey can we just go to touch the stone because yeah. this is our this is the plan and this is what I'm trying to do and yeah I was able to track the owner uh, really really uh, friendly guy um, he was like super excited uh, about my project That's cool. uh, <clears throat> he was welcoming uh, so yeah it was a really great uh, experience. To, all right. So let me ask you then, um, what are what are some of the challenges you expect along the way, Samuel, uh, as you go towards or up the James Bay Highway or even starting at the southern point? What what do you expect? What are some things you've taken into consideration? Um, seeing as it's middle of winter, you know, what should people? Well, my experience of? for a winter bike expedition is, you know, it's the Route Blanche, which was, of course, really intense because it was off-road. I mean, it was um, snowmobile uh, trails. So why don't, so why don't you start by telling people what the Route Blanche is? Because it's I, I didn't even know about it until I came across on your oh, no. Instagram. Yeah, and well, then I started looking it up and I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like, if I wasn't yeah. a teacher and I wasn't stuck working in February. Uh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's totally worth it uh, having a look. I think it's world-class um, 
winter biking. It's probably one of you know most adventurous place you can go and, and ride your bike. Um, so it's on the lower North Shore, so the called the Basque now in Quebec. So this is the very end of um, of uh, on just before uh, Newfoundland. You have this uh, this uh, strait, the Bellin Strait, and right there you have you have 14 villages that stretch from uh, Natashquan. Uh, all the way to Blanc-Sablon. It's actually not Blanc-Sablon. It's a few, um, maybe uh, 70 kilometers before that. It's okay. called Old Fort. So this is the beginning of the the road, the official road. So in between, you have about 400 kilometers of uh, unconnected uh, villages, uh, which are mostly uh, fishermen villages. They are pretty old, like maybe they have like 150 or 200 years old. And these villages, uh, the only way you, you can get there is by boat during the summer using the Bella de Gagne. There's, a, there's a, a ferry that you can use, which is absolutely great. I, I didn't have the opportunity to, to use it, but people ride, use it quite a lot to travel during the, the summer. Uh, the other way is by plane. And during the winter, there is this uh, ice road, this white road, so the Haute Blanche, uh, that people use with a uh, snowmobile. Um, and um, transport uh, uh, transportation ministry of Quebec, I'm guessing, so the Ministère des Transports du Québec, mm-hmm. uh, they're in charge of um, of you know marking this road, but it's still like it's on snow. It's on uh, snow, it's on uh, swamps, it's on uh, water. So 60% of the road is on water. So it's a very seasonal road. And with with all the climate change, every year it's not the same. So it's getting harder and harder to go there. But in 2020, we had like this perfect window. The conditions were great. And we just, you know, we used the, the fat bikes and we went for it. Uh, we had no experience fat biking, so me and Felix Antoine, uh, and we're still pretty bad at fat biking. Like, there's <laughs> there's one thing for fat. I mean, technically it's not that complicated, but the whole thing um, is about uh, tire pressure. Yeah, and, and I'm the worst with that because I'm always scary to go too low pressure. So I think we did the whole Wood Blanche with like 15 pound per square inch which is like stupid i know wow <laughs> so we would just like spin all the time and but still i mean we bike so that means it's it's great condition yeah uh but yeah i think we maybe went down to 12 psi or something like that but yeah so you know we, we know but still That's we were like uh oh, we don't want to have you know flats or anything or um it's funny though because I, you know what like uh, a week or so ago i went to to panorama hq and met simon Picked up a Chick Chalks, yeah. and then the next day I was messaging him, and I'm like, "Hey, uh, this is a really stupid question, but like, what should I be riding at for PSI?" That's yeah. <laughs> so the first thing because I had no idea, and he said, "He says, yeah. well, if it's really well, hard, it, it changes a lot when you have when when you have panniers, and you know, yeah. we had like, you know, all the stuff, the all the winter camping gear, so we were pretty heavy. So, and the thing with us, and of course, we're riding um, tubeless." But somehow, past 10, uh, 10 pounds, uh, there would be leaks. So for us, it was just like uh-huh. we had to keep. So it was probably just, just because of, uh, you know, it wasn't leaked well enough. We did it ourselves. So probably <laughs> we're the one that made a mistake. Um, but yeah, we still managed to, you know, average about 
30 kilometers per day, which is pretty good. I mean, it's faster than you would do skiing. Um, and to our knowledge, nobody rode it after us except this one guy, which I I forget his name, but he wrote he wrote to me last winter, and he's he's into like those those ultra endurance fat bike uh yeah. adventures and i think he rode the whole thing in like four days or something crazy um which how which long means is it? it is doable sorry how long is uh, the route blanche it's 400 400 kilometers huh yeah. but the thing is us we walked probably a third of it oh wow yeah you know hike a bike so you know it's 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 a big part of it is walking in the snow, there's hills and stuff like that. So, huh, you know, but uh, apparently I think he told me that he were able to uh, bike 80% of it. Um, so he's probably, you know, more experienced and he was more in a race space. Yeah. Uh, we were in just exploring. We were the first one to do it. So there was some sort of exploration. And the great thing is since there are villages, you step there and you meet those crazy and nice people. Yeah. Uh, they're called the Costers. Uh, they're Anglophones, most of it. They are. Oh, really? uh, they have like Newfoundland ancestors, most of it. There's one uh, Quebec, French Quebecois uh, village. It's called Taita la Banane, uh, and pretty much all the rest are uh, either Inus, uh, so natives, or uh, Anglophones. Oh, so the French village uh, is called and, Whale's Head, in case people are wondering in English. Taita la Banane. Huh? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. And, and uh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely great. Uh, and I'm hoping people will go there and do more adventures. I mean, it's perfect. And you have these little uh, refuge every 20 or 15 kilometers. Uh, and those places you can, officially, you can't stop and sleep in there. But we had a discussion with uh, the police there and they were like, no worries. I mean, the, the MTQ, they don't want us to go there. But quite frankly, the police there will do nothing. So people that want to do it like lightly and, and sleep in the refuge, they, they can just go for it. Yeah. They need to make sure that they have stuff to, in, in case there's a blizzard or something like that, and they are stuck. Like You need to be self-sufficient, uh, but you can you know, manage things differently and, yeah. and plan on sleeping on, on those little huts. So what, was, um, what are some of the things you need to carry with you on a winter expedition like that uh fat biking or in simon pierre's case um oh no he was on a fat bike too so yeah um yeah you have a four season tent or is it necessary if you have enough sleeping bags what's the deal well i i did carry a four season tent uh and a very good sleeping bag uh minus minus uh, 30 uh, i think you you can't go any uh warmer than that um a shovel yeah <laughs> i guess uh it was uh it was practical uh yeah good good winter camping gear that's uh i guess that's the the most important mm-hmm. there's not a of um there's not a lot of gear that is winter bike specific yeah um now i know them quite well because after two expeditions you know we got into contact with most of it. Um, there's a lot of acts too that you can do to your gear. Uh, this is true for uh, skiing. I mean, this is not this, this is not a ski expedition uh, podcast, but we can tell you more about it. But um, but yeah, cloth wise, like this time I will be using uh, seven mesh stuff. Uh, we have a partnership, so that's great. They have you know really good stuff that you can use for winter expeditions. 
Uh, but there's all those different hacks that you can do to your to your stuff. Like this is one thing when we were talking uh, to the podcast, I had to go away because there was there was the delivery, and I was super happy because it's our uh, intuition liners. I don't know if you know them, but oh, uh, did you get them? Th- these uh, are the ones that yeah. you can use in like the usually for ski boots and stuff, right? They're like a closed exactly. cell phone that doesn't yeah. uh, absorb yeah. moisture. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But we have those big Baffin boots. It's three pins. We use Telemark uh, bindings. Uh, but most of the people told us like, yeah, I mean, the liners that 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 are stuck in, in, the, in the boots are not that great. So we switch for intuitions. Uh, so they're all, all these different things. Like and they're expensive. Back, they're like $250 or something crazy. Like, yeah, so we're lucky to have to have a set of them that we can use. Uh, I mean, we need to try them, uh, but yeah. yeah, and most people, this is what they do. So a lot of things is it's with uh, moisture and all the humidity uh, management. Mm-hmm. And the thing is uh, for the Route Blanche, for uh, the James Bay Road, and especially on the ice pack, it's super humid. Uh, so if that's that's a huge difference, and and we always forget about it, and especially since we we live in the east, we don't really necessarily uh, think about it, yeah. but it's very humid. So all the stuff needs to be uh, managed very uh, wisely. And one of the things, for example, is all the down stuff that you use, like the sleeping bag. Uh, there's a huge thing with the, how do you deal with the humidity. So one way is to put. Uh, uh, vapor barrier in your sleeping bag, so which is oh, so know, like sleep in a bag. sleep in an emergency bivy inside your sleeping yeah, bag, kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly, you do the same with your boots. So plastic boots uh, in your boots, um, plastic bags bag. in your sleeping bag. Yeah, we have you know we have the full huge and small bags using a minus thirty, uh, but I have a minus forty uh, plus an extra like synthetic outside of it i mean it's all all like super warm stuff and it's not like the usual stuff you go at mec and you know you just buy it's just like stuff you need to order all over the place and what kind of what kind of brands like what what brand of sleeping bags are you guys using sleeping bags are you know a little bit more mainstream so all the majors they're doing it uh i have a marmot smokedar has a thermarest okay um of course they are like I mean, they're 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 good at our needs. They're they're just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we could go in the upper range and do like the fancy USA brands such as like Feather Friends or uh, Western Mountain Ring, they have like super great down uh, in the sleeping bags and are made of like Pertex and stuff like that. But uh, still, I mean, the one we have are are yeah. good enough. So the uh, uh, so you still use down because it's the lightest, and obviously you have to be weight conscious as well, right? And yeah, and uh, but then you have to be worried more about moisture management. Oh yeah, and yeah, definitely. Yeah, so James Bay Road is one thing, but when we will be skiing uh, on the ice pack, this is pretty much like skiing on the ocean. It's super humid, super cold. So it's always taking care of uh, the, the stuff we use. Yeah, the cold is uh, sucking up through your skis, through your boots, into your body, right? Exactly, and through the clothes. So we've been we've been told not to use uh, Gore-Tex. Oh, okay. Uh, which is normally what you use because it's supposedly breathable, but when it's too cold and too humid, it's not performing good enough. Uh, so it's either soft shell, like you need to have clothes that have no membranes, 
Um, and uh, I will be using a suit by Wintergreen uh, Northern Wear. Okay. It's it's a it's a super cool brand based in uh, Eli. Uh, Minnesota. Okay, I never and heard of it. Yeah. the fabric they use is suplex. It's a nylon, and it's it's very breathable. There's no membrane, uh, and it's like legendary clothing that Will Steger used for his first, you know, most of his expeditions okay. is what he used, and it's inspired by you know, uh, it's Scandinavian motives, and it's inspired by the Inuit's way of uh, of um, of traveling and wearing uh, and clothing. So this is what. I will be using so it's it's always a bit different uh the tent we have we have a tunnel tent also for the expedition so this is something also that you can't get anymore in north america uh there, there was marmot used to make one can, but nothing anymore. can i google it what kind of tunnel tent is tunnel tent the brand or is that just the style no it's a uh, hilleberg oh it's hilleberg yeah yeah, yeah it's hilleberg um marmot used to to make one but they're not doing it anymore so uh I used to. Um, I still. I still own a, a VE25 North Face uh, dome tent. It's all dome, but there's they're heavier and especially they're much longer to uh, pitch. Mm. Uh, so tunnel tent are just you know more resistant for wind. Um, they're just you know well made for those types of uh, of expeditions. Yeah, and you guys and you just yeah. got a big double sleeping bag for the two of you, right? So you can. Keep one <laughs> cuddle. And, <laughs> hey, but I just I just had a flash, and that might be useful to uh, people who want to uh, maybe start um, biking during winter and do like long rides like that. Uh, pogies, pogies definitely yes. is a must. So uh, and, and yeah, go ahead. No, I was just uh, go ahead first. Talk about the pogies and uh... well, yeah, pogies. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard to manage uh, shifters and brakes with like big mitts on um so the pogies uh allows you to have uh thinner gloves uh so you, you it's easier to uh to break yeah. into to shift um so that definitely that that's a must another thing that i found uh to be very very useful was a rear view mirror ah. i never uh never rode with a rear, rear view mirror before but um during winter It's very practical to see the snowplows coming at you. <laughs> uh, yeah, because they might not see you because of all the all yeah, the snow that they're pushing up, right? Yeah, um, Samuel is uh, is uh, as you might have uh, you probably understand. He's doing the the bike portion alone. I'm not redoing mm -hmm. uh, what I've done three years ago. Um, in part because I think it's a, a, a well, it's a big risk. That I not, I don't want to take. Um, but yeah, um, like uh, snow plows uh, is uh, to me it is a danger. Uh, if you're riding and uh, there's uh, wind and the the, the snow, mm -hmm. um, there's snow, or if if it's snowing, uh, visibility is is down. Uh, you can probably hear um the plow coming but he probably won't see you yeah um, so no listening so to the bike tour adventures podcast while you're up there on a snowy day <laughs> probably not a good idea unfortunately uh -huh. um so but for pogies um do they make pogies for drop bars because i know the taiga exp is a drop bar bike or you kind of have to just make your own 
Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, I'm you not aware some, of any bogeys. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably new. I, I didn't. I mean, three years ago, uh, I didn't see any uh, pogies. I didn't. I think there was, but they're, they're not as convenient. Mm. Um, I know for sure, Forty Five North uh, makes. Oh, them. they do, huh? They're not as yeah. convenient because they start on top of um, uh, of the bar. So I'm not sure. You need you need to take your hand outside if you want to use just the straight bar. Yeah. And if you want to go and drop, then you're inside. So it it limits, I think, the way you can you can. Yeah, I think you the, probably uh, can't bar. go right on the drops very easily. You're probably more on the the hoods on the. Exactly. Yeah, yeah there's something like that. Yeah. Uh, so they're not perfect, uh, but still, it's it, yeah, it's a good option. Uh, they need not to be too warm, uh, because I had, I had a problem like sweating in it. Yeah. Uh, at you know around zero degree or maybe minus five, and the day after that I think it was minus thirty. So during the night all the sweat froze, uh, and I couldn't uh, uh, use the speed. Oh anymore. wow! Yeah, yeah. You, you you need to vent your your pogies. That's one thing. I mean, you want to keep warm, but not too warm. You want to have ventilation and and have yeah. that uh, humidity uh, uh, flushed out of your pogies. So let me ask you guys, why did you decide or um, whose idea was it to use cross-country skis to go north as opposed to fat bike and why? Well, that was Samuel's idea. No. <laughs> go ahead well, and defend me, your idea. Me, no. uh, <laughs> I thought you yeah, were a cyclist, Samuel. Skiing the Pulkas just on the ice pack, it's, for me, it's, it's, you know, it's the pinnacle of, uh, of uh, adventure. Of course, it's a sport we've seen with uh, Borgi Ostland and Mycorn. And, you know, when, when you think about adventure, you usually think about that type of ski. So it's been in my mind and I think it's just a great way to get into that sport uh, going on Quebec's uh, ice pack. Um, also for this specific expedition, um, there's still uncertain, there's still gray area about, you know, whether how fast you can go, it's still, when you're planning the expedition is definitely i think with the bike uh there's more um gray spots so whereas skiing i mean you can plan pretty much you know a straight distance you can you can manage every day pretty much whatever the condition of course if when it's if, if it's a white hat you can't you can ski mm -hmm. but you go slower but more uh certainly so that i think that was the idea also it's just like this expedition it's never been done before it's like okay let's let's do like a full effort and and do it for real uh let's go by ski uh probably Someone can do it by bike after that and do it faster. But I think at this point, ski was just like, you know, a way to make it done. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Um, Simon-Pierre, I was wondering if part of the reason you decided not to do the cycling again, well, you did mention that, you know, snow plows and stuff and um, the extra risk associated with just to do that section again. But I'm assuming partially as well, family plays into it, right? Like you, you might have got permission to go skiing for... Of course. Um <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's. I've planned for uh, two and a half months uh, away from the family, away from my job. So uh, an extra extra three weeks uh, really. Uh, uh, it, it was something that I had to consider. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And how old are your kids? Um, I have a, a ten-year-old son, twelve-year-old daughter. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's an age where definitely the mother might want you around as well. <laughs> Not gone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you don't mind me asking, because like maybe one of the most curious, my my biggest curiosity is what kind of jobs do you guys do for a living, and how did you get the time off? How do you get the company or the whatever you work for to agree to give you X number of months or days off? Uh. I'm a freelancer, so it's easier. Um, Of course, there's uncertainty. So, you know, I can't plan every year the same way, but I'm very flexible. So I try, you know, I do all these different things. I'm a musician. um, uh, I'm a a trained musician. So I I still do a little bit of, uh, of gigs and stuff like that. But uh, most most of the time I do web design and I write a little bit too. I could do conferences um, as an artist. Also, I'm a writer and author. Uh, so I kind of mix all those things together and I try to make a living out of it. But yeah. the whole idea of this expedition, and I think Simon Pierre and I on a, are on the same page with this, is we approach it as amateurs, like very keen yeah. amateurs. But it's not like we want to make it because there's a show or we need to make a video out of it or anything like we want to be and, and like uh, influencers or something like that. We do it just, you know, if we have to pay for it, we will pay for it. Yeah. Um, and we won't go for things that cost $100,000 doing the Everest or yeah. South Pole. Uh, we just go in those, you know, niche expedition that are, in fact, super difficult, um, but fun and, and doable. And I, I yeah, so it, I think it's more manageable this way. And we don't have to spend like three years uh, founding those expeditions. Yeah. I'm, I mean, they're not cheap for sure, <laughs> but we they're, they're not that expensive compared to other uh, lines we could yeah. do in the Arctic or Antarctic, for example. And how about you, Simon Pierre? Yeah. Well, I have a more, uh, maybe a more conventional job, uh, nine to five job. I'm a mechanical engineer. Um, and uh, let's say uh, I'm 44. Uh, so I, maybe I had a, a midlife crisis that made me realize that I want to do stuff in my life. Yeah. Uh, not that I haven't done anything in the past, but uh, uh, I have some dreams and I really want to be able to realize that th- those dreams. Uh, make them uh, come true. Um, so that's that's uh, 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 something that 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 pushes me to to uh, or, or makes me want to just because I want to do those things. Uh, the 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 job. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's not uh, as important. I don't know if it's, I'm not sure it sounds right. Let's hope but, your boss uh, isn't listening to this later. <laughs> no, but <laughs> yeah, okay. Just <laughs> cut that uh, while you're editing. No, um, but you know, I mean, before I, I, because I had a job and I, I, you know, I mean, it was important to me. I wasn't um, uh, game to do that kind of mm-hmm. uh, adventure. Um, but now, like I have to do it, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, I think, I think uh, basically I, just saying that, you know, going on these adventures has to be at equal priority, you know? So if, if you're not yeah, in a company yeah. that's going to allow you to, to pursue some of these things, which is also good for your own mental, you know, um, yeah. maybe that's not the right job. Right. So then you would have changed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but I have uh, the, the, the work, the, the company I work for, I mean, they're really, 
the 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 bosses are really great people uh and they they've allowed me to do uh this uh adventure to leave uh the office for uh two and a half months and maybe more um so i i, I don't know what to say I, i'm 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 super uh reconnaissant um uh i don't know what's the the the, the right word yeah. uh, in english but uh yeah i'm i'm i i i'm privileged to be able to uh to leave my job for mm -hmm. uh that amount of time yeah i'm a teacher so i mean i have my summers but then the rest of the year is pretty damn hard and and there's things i'd yeah. like to do you know like i'd love i like i'm more towards i like to get out and do the races and i'd love to go do like silk road or um atlas mountain race but yeah. they land at times of the year where i just can't you know i can't leave it would be very hard i can't take unpaid i could maybe take unpaid leave that gets pretty expensive, but that'd be the only option. Um, <clears throat> but grateful is the word you were uh, grateful. Yeah. Grateful, yeah, I'm grateful. Thank you. Yeah, I was trying to translate it in my head, and I'm like, it's, "What is that?" I, mean, I know that I could imagine, I understand it in French, but I don't know if, what I can't put it to yeah. a word in English. Um, yeah. So, um, what are some of the challenges you expect with? the cross-country skiing section? Because I think that's... So I, I presume, Simon Pierre, that you're going to fly up to meet up with uh, Samuel. You're going to bring the skis and everything? Or are you guys sending it by truck first? Or what's the plan logistically? Well, we're... Um, there's actually a, um, a a film. I don't know if we're... Uh, are we allowed to say that, uh, Samuel? Yeah, there's yeah. A, the containers, uh, there's a yeah, small okay. group of uh, three people that will uh, film the expedition. Oh, cool. So they will meet us three times in the north. The first one is at Chisisibi, so the transition between bike and ski. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about uh, 1,400 kilometers um, riding. So, you know, it's 3,000 kilometers back and forth. So it's still pretty intense. Um, and one of our partners, one of the, the major partner of the expedition is Telloc, the cell phone, uh, not cell phone, satellite phone. Yes. If you're looking for, uh, I mean, this is definitely something you need to have when you go in those remote places. It's have some sort of communication and Telloc is one of the best and easiest way uh, to do that. And uh, the president of the company, Yvonne, is super nice and he just called me like less than two weeks ago was like well i always wanted to go to chcb like do you need a ride to get there i was like sure <laughs> and he told me well no worry about it like i rent a, a big truck and uh I'll, I'll i'll bring simon i'll bring marie france the filmmaker and the small team uh so the four of us they will they will you know go all the way there and we will stay i need to rest a little bit uh, still, it's, you know, I'm planning between 12 and 15 days of biking in the middle of the winter. So I want to, part of this expedition also, I want to take time, uh, which it sounds silly, but, you know, in, in general, in life, everything goes so fast. And in expedition, it's intense, but you take time to live things. So for me, spending three days in Chisasibi is the best, and I want to rush. So mm -hmm. a few days there filming and doing stuff, and then we start biking. Um, so that's the first, uh, the beginning of the ski expedition. But then for the difficulties and challenges, there is a lot. Um, first of all, most of it, most of the time we're skiing on water, on mm -hmm. frozen water. So of course with the ice pack, there are uh, 
uh, eventually problem with the conditions. It might be broken, it might be rough, there might be open water. Uh, so there are all those things that we need to be aware and very careful. We actually did uh, in Chelsea last uh, last uh, winter. Oh, January, uh, yeah. January, yeah. Uh, what, was it in Chelsea? No, it was in... Um, uh, it was... No, um, right at the entrance of Gatineau Park, uh, so close to maybe where more like Masham, kind of north, maybe. No, 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 no. What's the name? Uh, I can't remember, but uh, and it was great. We did it with uh, Wakefield River maybe? Rescue. Wakefield, Sorry? Wakefield, Wakefield. Yeah, Wakefield. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that was in in Wakefield. Uh, so it's um, ice safety uh, class. So the, this is the first time we met actually for that for that course, uh, <laughs> and and part of that course you just jump in water with your skis and stuff and you try to you know swim with all that thing oh yeah uh, this so is a course in wakefield how do i not know about these things <laughs> uh it's not ba- they're not based they're actually i think danny the the president of the company and you know the head uh, trainer he might live in the area i'm not uh, exactly okay. sure but they're doing classes throughout canada i mean there's the reference for uh, all first aid uh, course, uh, first responded uh, course, and they do also um, wide water rescue safety uh, and ice safety as well. What's the company called? It's definitely worth. It's called Boreal uh, Rescue. River Rescue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. I'll check that out. Uh, so we did that. So this is the first thing. Also for root. Um, the first part is pretty straightforward, um, but once we hit Inukjoak, we have find it on the map two here. options. So this is pretty much middle way of the ski part and, and pass uh, Inukjoak. Um, the route we plan to use is inland. So there might be problem with uh, hitting the ground because there's not a lot of snow mm-hmm. up north in that area. Okay. So if there's not enough snow, it might be difficult uh, to navigate throughout all those those uh, section, uh, and the thing is, the whole route is based on uh, dog sled race. Uh, there's there's one official dog sled race, and it's called Ivakak. And Smolpia, when he planned the first expedition, uh, he was able to uh, get a hand on those maps. So we, our route is based on that route. Uh, and this route goes inland. So there's one thing we could get to Inukjuak and get told there that it's not safe enough. Well, for sure we, we won't be tell that it's not safe enough, mm-hmm. but we might be tell that it's not very a, a good place to ski. Then we go to we need to stick to the ice pack. Okay. Uh, so so there's one one thing will be uh, finding the route uh, for sure. The other one is polar bears. Uh, Simone yeah. can tell you more about so it. So I was going to ask, are there yeah. polar bears there and do you have to carry a gun, I, I guess? Yeah, there, there are polar bears. Um, of course, it's uh, Hudson Bay. Uh, so I'm sure pretty well, uh, everyone uh, has heard of uh, Churchill um, in uh, Manitoba, yeah. um, which is like a polar bear capital. But um, yeah, so you've got polar bears along the uh, the coast uh, of the the Quebec coast of Hudson Bay and even uh, James Bay. Um, yeah, it's so hard. Polar bear is it's it's so funny. Like I just zoomed out on the map and I, you forget how big Quebec and Ontario are, and you know Quebec is much bigger. Yeah. Um, 
you're really really far north like <laughs> yeah yeah we we are uh well we are we, we will be <laughs> it is it is will be yeah hopefully uh yeah and, and yes polar bear uh it is a, a real um issue um i mean we don't want to meet we don't want to see a polar bear i mean it would be super fun to see one uh, but seeing one means that he probably will see you mm-hmm. uh, and, and be uh, curious and try to, to uh, come in and see you and uh, see if, he, if uh, you're a, a seal or uh, if he can uh, have a snack. Yeah. You know? So, uh, yeah, that, that's, so that's uh, one thing that we need to be very, very uh, um, cautious uh, mm-hmm. So yes, we will we will be uh, carrying a, a, a shotgun. Um, we'll have flares. We'll have a um, a fence. Uh, it's like a, a, a trip wire. Yeah, for nighttime um, around the, the for tent. nighttime around the the the, the tent. Um, so yeah, different uh, ways to uh, try to uh, scare. It's mostly to to scare the bears. Um, scared them away. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it like the tripwires? Do they set off like a high pitched sound alarm, or is it anything like that? It's a it's a twelve gauge uh, shock blank. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's and it's not to again. That's not to scare the bear. Uh, they won't be scared just by the the uh, uh, bang sound. It's uh, more to. Uh, uh for us to to uh so that we get awakened yeah uh if there's a bear near oh wow any uh any fears associated with this or you guys are all fairly confident of course uh i'm i mean that's to me that's that's the worst part uh that's the thing that i have no control yeah. on you know like the weather, uh, I mean, there, there's a whiteout. You just stay in your tent. You stay put. You don't move. Mm-hmm. And you know that things will get better. Um, if you see that the ice is not good, you just – you don't go on it. But, like, a bear that comes to see you, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, what's happening in his brain, I mean, it's – unpredictable mm-hmm. uh so for me it's the 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 most scariest thing of the whole adventure what about you samuel what kind of worries you the most if you're worried about anything? well it's the same being a group of two is is good <laughs> doing the same ex- expedition alone like small piatch right i mean this this is scarier <laughs> uh being two it's it's you know it's better but the best the best number is six actually this is the re- recommended oh, number yeah? for remote expedition like you know canoeing and stuff like that in general it's recommended to be six uh so two it's you know it's not a lot well, let me know next um, time then you have three and then we just have to figure out another three you know well you need to manage other things when you're a big group yeah uh, logistics and all the planning it's you know it's it takes a lot of time mm-hmm. uh, and the bigger the group like the more tension there could be inside yep, like absolutely. it's not it's so it's not the best and and quite frankly uh there's not a lot of people that are interested into, you know, pulling sleds uh, for, you know, 60 days straight uh, using like, you know, 
thousand dollar gear. <laughs> so that's one problem. But two is I yeah, I have I'm pretty confident in that group. Um and yeah, of course I'm score I'm scared with uh with uh, with the bears for sure. Uh the thing, I mean we can control things a little bit uh, in terms that we recently were talking to someone that, you know, was really telling us you need to be aggressive with bears. Like if a bear see you, you need, he needs to go away. If you don't scare him, he will come back. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's not control, but if you see he's really looking around and he's curious, you need, you know, to take the, the bear banger, the flares, you take the shotgun and you walk towards him and you scare him and yeah. if he goes away and if you see him running you're probably fine for the rest of the night so this is some of the thing you can control uh besides just saying like, oh maybe he hasn't seen us mm-hmm. and let's just like you know go in the tent and hope everything is fine and then if you have a bear that wakes you up at noon then you, you know you're fucked like it, it it shouldn't happen if we get awakened in the middle of the night because of the bear we're really in trouble so we need to be proactive and i think the two of us uh yeah we'll, we'll be in good spirit for that but yeah this is one of the most uh, scary thing uh since it's so long you don't want to hurt yourself you don't want to have like those you know not big injuries but you know for example like skin problem is something that happened a lot it's called polar rash so you can oh, have those it's like cha- you know, kind of yeah. like chafing or different yeah, some sort of chafing that, that yeah. can go really bad mm. uh, because it's so humid all the time and you sleep in a sleeping bag and you have sleeping yeah. bag, uh, you know, plastic the vapor barrier and mm. uh, vapor barrier. So so it's all those things that can happen that, that could make the whole experience just tough and not fun. Yeah. Um, but it and it's not what we intend. Like we're, we're not doing that just to suffer for 100 days. We're doing it because most of it should be fun. And I think it would be. Yeah. Uh, but we need to, you know, take time and just enjoy learning new environment. Yeah, I was looking at the uh, the map and, you know, when you guys when you finish your bike section, you're kind of right at the top of James Bay and yeah, yeah. right across the bay from that on the Ontario side. So, I mean, it'd be quite far. Uh, is a place called Polar Bear Provincial Park. So clearly, yeah. <laughs> the polar bears are not far away. I mean, they're there. There's supposed to be more polar bear on the west side. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. But Inukjuak, if you see it, it's... Um, I saw it, yeah. Yeah, so Inukjuak is the entrance. Because, of course, all is frozen. All the ice is frozen. So they walk and, you know, they're a hunter and they hunt for seal. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them, you know, they go away on the ice pack and, you know... They go, they go hunting there, but Inukjuak is supposedly the where's the corridor of immigration, and you know they walk there, wow. and then, then after that they spread. But so Inukjuak is one of the craziest part. Being inland might be a little bit better, but I was reading recently on how uh, more polar bears actually there are in Quebec. Uh, like if you talk to old Inuits uh, back in the in the seventies, apparently there, there was almost none. Um, on the peninsula mm. uh, in the north and now you see a lot and they hunt them uh, so we're very likely to see them um, and apparently they're more aggressive especially uh, close to the to the towns so yeah we need to be uh, aware of it and prepare and I think we are <laughs> awesome sorry I was uh, I was just looking around to see if I had an extra micro SD card because I could see that uh the other day when I recorded, I recorded with all the channels 
and so I'm running. I got about six minutes left of video store or of audio storage, uh, just to give us a sense. Anything I missed that you guys want to talk about? Um, we can definitely do it. Well, a- there's there's one first thing. Just 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 the the, the numbers of the expedition. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the from um, the the. 720 marker to Chisisibi, it's uh, 1,475 kilometers. Mm. Then after that skiing, it's um, 1,250 kilometers. Okay. So averaging about 115 kilometers per day and 20 kilometers of skiing, that uh, plus breaks. So every time we stop in towns, we take around about two days. Yeah. So that's 100 days. And <laughs> the whole expedition. So, so yeah, it's almost three thousand kilometers in a hundred days. And when you're in a town, are there? I don't know. There's are there places to stay there? Like, are, are you going to be able to find a place to sleep and air out and dry out all your gear? That's yeah. the plan. That's yeah, the hope. <laughs> try to <laughs> try to to have it uh, to dry everything. Um, well, but, uh, we're hey, trying so to. Yeah, I, I've been told recently. I didn't tell you, but apparently they have like quite a lot of issues with uh, with water. Uh, in most of, of towns, uh, so oh. we've been told it's not, you know, it might not happen like to clean all our clothes. Uh, we need to uh, be in the line. Well, we'll and, just um, we'll stink. Mm, that's I mean yeah, that's not a problem. Yeah. But yeah, we try to to find uh, people uh, pretty much in every uh, community, um, people that, that can help us with organizing uh, once we get there to, yeah. to dry and hopefully uh, wash our, our our clothes, our things uh and, and maybe uh also provide a place to stay so uh, yeah and where can people like find you guys on social media or uh, follow along on this uh, expedition well they can go on the facebook uh for expedition trans boreal uh they will find us we probably we try to publish quite a lot there there's a website also it's my personal website uh, Samuel uh, Samuel Markin, uh, or just Google Transboreal Expedition, you will find it. Uh, we have our personal um, Instagram pages as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah, and I'll definitely add links to everything so people can find you guys. And um, last cool. thing, I, I know we only have a few minutes left. I, I'm well aware, looking at my clock, but uh, the, <laughs> the the SD card. Um, how long have you guys been partnered up with Panorama, and how did that come about? Well, um, for me, um, when I was preparing for uh, my 2020 expedition, um, I mean, I was—I didn't own a fat bike. I never, uh, I still do not own one because I don't do enough. Um, so I was looking at the options that were available, and of course, um, I was hoping to to find a uh, a local company. Uh, and I just stumbled upon Panorama on the internet, and they happen to be um, really focused on adventure biking. Yeah, which to me made sense. Um, plus, they they um, they really um, uh, make big efforts um, for uh, with the environment. Um, so that that's how I, I, I 
like I, I find out about them and that's why I decided to approach them. Mm. How about you, Samuel? We're actually super happy to have them because they're such a kick-ass company. It's, you know, it's small company, but they still have, you know, you, you, if you want a bike from them, like you definitely can, can get it. It's not, it's not like they make 10 bikes per year. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they're just awesome. They make steel bikes. There's not a lot of those bikes out there. Uh, like great steel bike, it's made of you know Reynolds seven uh, seven hundred twenty. It's just like you know sweet sweet bike. Simon uh, is super knowledgeable, and they have like those really niche products. Um, yeah, such like like, like the Taiga XP and all those bikes. So yeah, love them, and I've been using those bikes for almost five years now. Awesome. Uh, so really looking forward. Yeah. I know I'm running, I'm, I'm seriously running out of time. So <laughs> we are going to have to do a, a catch up one, uh, maybe in June after you guys are all done back and rested. Sure. And then, uh, we can talk more about how everything went down and, uh, what worked, what didn't, and what would you do differently if, uh, if you were to do it again. <laughs> all right. So I well, thank you guys for being on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being on. You don't have to hang up. I'll just stop the recording. So bye bye. Sure. Talk soon. I want to thank Simon Pierre and Samuel for taking the time to speak on the podcast, share their expedition, their adventures, their experiences. Uh, I think it was the perfect time to have them on the show because fat bike season is just around the corner. That means lots of winter riding and, um, you know, they have a lot of experience and stuff to share. And um, so that was really great. Uh, I do apologize for any, you know, little background noises and stuff. Uh, I had to record this in a different way than I typically do, so it didn't... Uh, provide like a noise gate to all the background stuff and so there might have been a little bit of static at time or um you know a, a little bit of echo dip, you know people are in different rooms and stuff so i do hope you guys enjoyed i hope you benefit from it let me know how you think or let me know what you think about the episode and uh we'll talk soon bye-bye I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated and keep on pedaling.